Thank you, Dad. Bless you. Glory to God. Amen. Well, bless the Lord. It's wonderful to be with you all tonight. And uh, of course, Jesus said that, uh, and wonderful to be with you tonight as well. <laughs> bless you. So, uh, yeah, that's okay. We're, we're all connected here. So, look, um, yeah, what times we're in. What times we're in. Jesus said, of course, that there will be wars and rumors of wars, but the end is not yet. He said, don't let your heart be moved. You know, with the gospel of the kingdom must be proclaimed to every time and tribe and nation before Jesus will return. I always think to me it's a very striking thing that, that Jesus said that there were two things that would hasten, if you like, the time of his return. One is that the gospel is preached to every time and tribe and nation. And the other is, uh, is found in 2 Peter 3 when he says that, uh, you know, what kind of people in the light of these things, what kind of people ought we to be? But holy people, godly people, people who are set apart for Christ, hey, looking for and hastening the day of his coming. I don't know about you, the whole thought that actually we can contribute to the time in which Jesus is returning is quite a thought. Yes. Uh, you know, but it is nonetheless, it is a reality. And we are to be those who are living our lives 100% for him. God is doing amazing things. In the middle of the pandemic, he's done amazing things. Uh, you know, this is the first time we're back amongst you all since really since the pandemic. Um, certainly for ourselves as a, as a ministry, it sounds a strange thing to say, but we've had an amazing pandemic. Uh, we really have. Um, you know, the Holy Spirit just, hey guys, welcome. Bless you. But the Holy Spirit really just uh, led really for ourselves every step of the way in terms of. Um, you know, in, in ministry online, in, in ministry in so many different ways, our evangelists were out on the streets, uh, you know, pretty much every every week, even even when they weren't really supposed to, uh, you know, they were out there. We were all constantly winning people to Jesus and praying for the sick and leading people to the Lord. Um, and then actually when, when we came into the time in April last year where, where the walls all came down, so to speak, and we were able to get out, uh, you know, we did about nine back-on-back -back missions around the UK and had the joy of leading about 2,300 people to the Lord uh, on the streets. Um, lots of miracles happened. Lots of people, you know, hurting from, from loss and grief and pain. Um, in, in many ways, I, I can remember the first time when we did something down near Bristol and, and it was only for a few days. It was all that the, uh, you know, the local council were willing to give us. Um, but, you know, I just had people sobbing in my arms. Uh, the team did, you know, people, it felt, it felt like we were pastoring the public is, is really what it felt like. I remember coming back and, and just saying to my wife, I mean, she said, how did it go? And we had, you know, we were only up for a couple of days, but led by the 50, 60 to the Lord, and some healings and stuff. And, but really came back and when Elaine asked me, how did it go? I just, I just broke. I was in tears um, just because of, you know, touching all the pain that was out there. In, in people's hearts um, but uh, amazing times really amazing times and amazing times uh, online as well uh, yeah where we had you know during that period from about the march time through till the end of the year had the joy of seeing 17 18 000 come to jesus um, through radio 
and you know, um, and, and media. It's just been amazing. Some amazing miracles have happened. Um, you know, and witches coming to Jesus and things like that. Just uh, amazing stuff. You know, all online. Uh, just phenomenal um, things going on. So we give God praise for, for all that he's done. And, uh, and really, one of the things that's very evident as we come into this, into this new year is that Jesus is turning his church inside out. He really is turning the church inside out. And he's looking for a people who are willing to be stretched, willing to just to turn their back on what is past. Uh, you know, where there may be grief, there may be pain, there may be changes and all kinds of things that have gone on. But we need to look forward because actually there's going to be a great outpouring of the Holy Spirit across the United Kingdom. And so I really want to encourage you to put your hand to the plow and say, Lord, here I am. I'm wholly available. And just follow whatever he puts on your heart to do and support the leaders in the church here as well as they are pressing forward in what God leads them to do. So Praise the Lord. I wonder if you could turn with me to Genesis chapter 1 is where we're going to start today. Genesis chapter 1, if you've got your Bibles with you, if you've got a hard copy like I have here. If you've got it on your phone, you can just flick there. And otherwise, you can just listen. Thank you, Father. Father, I just pray that you would take this word and impart faith, as you always do, through your word and by your spirit. Impart faith into every one of our hearts today. Lord, I believe that in this very meeting today, you want us, every one of us, to take a step up away from what is past and to move forward in faith, to move forward into what you have for us. Lord, that there would be a, an embracing of your call and an entering into your promise of increase. Father, we just thank you. I believe that this year, Lord, that there will be increase. Increase here in the beacon, increase in our lives, various ministries that we represent here in this place, and various churches too. Father God, I pray that increase will be manifested in our lives and through our lives and our various ministries. Increase in terms of salvation, increase in terms of miracles, in terms of impact for the kingdom of God. Lord, that we would see breakthroughs where things have been resisting and we will see your kingdom come in great power. Father, we just bless you and thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, you may have got the idea from what I'm preaching, what I meant, what I prayed about, really. But I want to talk to us tonight about the call to increase. The call to increase. It's the word that the Lord has laid on my heart. And I believe, actually, as we go into this year, that we are going to see an acceleration, a real acceleration in the purpose of God, both uh, individually in our ministries, our churches, and, and in the nation. And, um, and although there may be shaking and all kinds of things happening in the nations and you know, around the world, that nonetheless, that we need to fix our eyes on the main thing and make the main thing the main thing, to, to worship Jesus, to make disciples, to live our lives fully for him. Amen. Really, like, there is no time like the present for us in all that is going on for us to be full on for Jesus. We need to be full on for the Lord. The world, we owe it to the world to be full on for Jesus. Without being full on for him, we, we won't be able to present to them any answer. And we need to be those who are living in peace and those who are living in faith and those who are pursuing the Lord with all of our hearts. So um, it is a significant time. 
you know, for us in Mission 24, just to give you a little idea of some of the stuff that, that we're up to, um, and just to ask for your prayers uh, in this. Um, wow, well, we've got, uh, it, we are in, at the end of April, we we're in Argentina, uh, working with 300 churches in Buenos Aires uh, for doing some large mission work there and new churches to be planted out of that. And then going up into the north as well with a stadium crusade up there and planting churches there. It's the beginning of a five-year vision in Argentina. We started also a five-year vision in Leicester, working with the churches there. And God is doing an amazing work in, uh, in Leicester and uh, seeing lots of people come to the Lord and a uh, real move of the Holy Spirit. So um, we've begun a five-year vision working with the churches across the city of Leicester. We have two training weeks and, uh, and two missions um, going on there this year seven other missions in the uk and uh as well plus also, also the beginnings of what we call mission connect uh which is actually the beginning of, of teams and evangelism hubs around the country uh to maximize the number of workers getting out in the gospel um as we move on going on from there we've got our first major tent mission in the united states uh, in Lancaster City, where churches across the city are coming together uh, for a large gospel campaign and again planting churches out of it, uh, multiple churches involved. So exciting stuff. Um, and then in South Africa, again, I mean, really, it's amazing to me. The brothers in South Africa uh, that, that I work with over there planted 46 churches during lockdown. <laughs> and, you know, and, and they wrote to me and said, John, we need your help. I feel like writing myself, you seem to be doing quite fine without me. You know? but, but anyway, it's a privilege, and uh, we'll be working with the guys there. And uh, some amazing things that the Holy Spirit is doing South, in South Africa. Um, just tremendous. Uh, I had the privilege of ministering in, um, near one of their major universities last time I was there, just before the pandemic. And the number of students who turned up uh, and gave their lives to Christ, and you, know, you couldn't close the meeting. Um, there were miracles and the church was just packed hundreds and hundreds of students um, and Jesus just touching them and giving their lives to Jesus, getting their lives to them, being filled with the Holy Spirit. I mean, when I left for another two hours afterwards, they were just carrying on, just, you know, praising and rejoicing and, and uh, establishing teams to go out and win more and um, more students. This is over at Stellenbosch, just an amazing time in South Africa. So we're really expecting for all of that. I just got some new doors opening up as well in Scotland and um, very excited to be working with the brothers up there, the Destiny Churches and others. Um, and in Wales, across there as well, in Mayumba and Rwanda, uh, again, doing um, a large gospel campaign and planting churches there uh, and lots of work also helping ladies you know, being rescued out of the trafficking stuff that goes on there and helping widows and orphans. So there's lots going on. We really value your prayers. And we are expected for an amazing year. But I want to say this right now. I believe that God wants to bring about an amazing year here in the Beacon and here in Norfolk. The Holy Spirit is moving up and down our land. And actually, uh, wherever believers will get in line with what he is doing and start to reach out and trust him and offer prayer and, and just get into gear in the gospel, the Lord will give increase. The Lord will give increase. It's the power of the word of God. So let's look right now, right at the beginning in Genesis chapter one. I want to call the call of the command to increase right here at the beginning of creation. We find in Genesis one, verse 28, 
Let's go to verse 27, actually, just for a moment, because it does seem to be a matter of debate in some circles in the UK today, but it's that blatantly clear from Scripture. Verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Now, there are no other kinds of human beings. <laughs> then God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea over the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves on the earth let's look at this word bless god bless them god that word literally means he empowered them to prosper or empower them to succeed in the command to multiply there is the the promise of empowering from the holy spirit it's all contained within the command you know, every command of God in Scripture assumes the grace and power of God to be able to fulfill it. We're, there's no way that we can do it by ourselves or in our own strength. But the Holy Spirit gives us the power. The empowering blessing of God is inherent in the command. The call, the command to increase is right there, right from Genesis. It goes all the way through to Revelation. Even after the fall of man at Babel, we find in Genesis 11, verse 6. Here are people who are not born again, people who are not right with God. And actually what they are doing in establishing Babel is they're establishing something for their own security. They're establishing something for their own fame, for their own name. They're not doing it for the name and for the glory of God. They're just doing it for themselves and their own security. But despite that fact, God comes down and he looks at it and he says, if these people with one heart and with one vision can do this, then nothing that they set their hand to do will be withheld from them. There is, there's certain things in theology, they call it common grace. What it means is there are certain principles that God has put into creation that even if people who don't know Jesus put them into operation, it works. And you know, there is a certain principle in God, this principle of unity, this principle of standing together with common vision, you know, it, it, it makes things happen. And actually, there's great blessing for us as the people of God, of course. There is added blessing. When the church stands together as one, whether it's one local church where there is unity, you know, or whether this church is working together in a city, in a town, or in a region for the sake of the gospel with united heart, making the main thing the main thing. When they do that, the blessing, the presence, and the power of God comes in the midst of that situation. We've all been in church meetings where the unity of heart in worship and in praise, the band, the musicians, singers, everybody is united and where everybody in the church is united, just lifting up that one name of Jesus. His presence comes, his glory comes strongly amongst us, doesn't it? I've had the privilege over the years of, of standing on platforms in various nations where the worship of the people of God and the worship team up front, the, the worship was so unified and so with purpose to lift up Jesus in the context of tens of thousands of people in the crowd. But as they worshiped and lifted up Jesus in that context, the glory of God would come and roll in like a cloud over the tens of thousands of people and miracles would break out because actually he inhabits the praises of his people and he's looking for a united people that he can pour out his blessing and his glory upon. Amen? Amen. In Norfolk today, in Baxter today, in the Broadlands, in this area, God wants 
to manifest his glory in his presence. And he wants, therefore, a people who are united to pursue his kingdom together. Amen? It's always the big challenge working in uh, doing towns and cities or even getting churches to work together for the sake of the kingdom, beyond the borders of our church, the names of our churches and ministries. Actually, Jesus is not coming back for, you know, the Pentecostals, the Anglicans, the Baptists. He's coming back for one church. And so we need to stand together in united pursuit of the advance of God's kingdom to lift up the name of Jesus. So we see that there is the command or the call to increase and the empowering blessing of God is inherent in that command as we embrace it to go forward. Here we go on, we see in Isaiah, tell me to Isaiah, and in Isaiah chapter 9, a passage that you're probably very familiar with at Christmas time, but Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and 7, the prophet Isaiah declares, unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Let's just look at this very next verse. Of the increase of his government and of his peace, there shall be no end. Glory to God. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward and even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. It doesn't just say that of his government there will be no end. We know that his kingdom rules over all. There will never be an end to that. But it speaks of the increase of his government. There will never be an end to the increase. It's always been my personal conviction that because the scripture declares that, as long as we pursue the priorities of his kingdom, we will always increase. Ministry will always be fruitful. Life will always be blessed. You know, Jesus says it, doesn't he, in Matthew 6, 33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things will be added to you. So the blessing of increase, whether he, he describes it as being material increase and blessing, whether he speaks of it as being, you know, blessing in relationships, as blessing in terms of the church growing and, and multiplying and miracles happening and all of that, it all comes when we align ourselves with the advance of the kingdom of God. Jesus came preaching the kingdom of God and miracles attested to it. When he sent out the, the, the 12, he sent them out saying, preach the kingdom of heaven is at home. Heal the sick, cast out demons, cleanse lepers and raise the dead. You know, again, and then we have it in Matthew 24, 14, this gospel of the kingdom shall be proclaimed in all the world as a witness to every nation. And then the end shall come wherever the kingdom is proclaimed, wherever the kingdom is pursued in our lives increase comes blessing comes the demonstration of the power of the holy spirit comes there are certain things we don't need a word from heaven to do you understand what i mean <laughs> there are certain things we need to be doing all the time evangelism discipleship spending time with god in prayer and in the word loving one another loving our neighbors all of these things are standard things in the kingdom in the kingdom of god and standard things for every one of us as believers we don't need a word from the Holy Spirit to do them. But as we do them, the Holy Spirit will lead us and guide us. You know, in the years that I used to work with Don Double, uh, I can actually remember the days. It was, in those days, we didn't even have cars with, uh, you know, with automatic, with remote steering. You remember all that? We just, you know, with power steering. It was just, um, 
You know, I, I can remember actually when uh, somebody once gave my wife a, uh, a car like that. And um, bless her, you know, it, it was one of these things. And, and when we first got married, she still had the car. When she used to stand it up, you know, it would start it up rather, it would just, it would let out so much black smoke. Uh, I, I used to say to her, she was putting the neighborhood into an eclipse, you know, but, um, but anyway, the thing is, is that I, I used to feel like we didn't need a, didn't need a gym membership, you know, when, when driving that car, because it was so, so tough like that. But, you know, one of the things that was true, Don W used to say this, it's easier to change the direction of a car that's moving than one that's standing still. It doesn't really bear today because uh, of power steering, but in those days, it was an illustration you could really understand. And that's actually why as a church, we need to be committed to the outworking of the kingdom of God in our lives and in our communities. And just proclaiming the kingdom, demonstrating the kingdom by word, by deed, and by the power of the Holy Spirit. And a promise of increase goes with that. So there is a promise of increase, of the increase of his government and of his peace. There shall be no end. When we turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 7, Paul the Apostle is writing to the Corinthian church, the church that he planted. And actually, you can see that he's rather irritated with the church at this moment. There are certain letters when you read uh, the, the writings of the Apostle Paul where you find that he comes over and he's slightly irritated over different things. You know, the Galatians, for example, are the only group he doesn't begin by saying, I thank my God for you. Um, you know, it says you're stupid, ignorant, you know. At one point, he really is irritated because they've left the message of grace. And here we are, we find in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1, he says, I, brothers, could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. You know, in 1 Corinthians, Paul addresses believers in three different ways. He talks about, he talks about, um, the carnal man, he talks about the natural man, and he talks about the spiritual man. And you know, of course, the carnal man, he's writing here to believers who are full of the Holy Spirit. But the reality is, is that they're, they're being ruled by their five physical senses, they're being ruled by their flesh, they're being dominated by, by fleshly appetites and everything else. And in all of that, you know, he, he calls them carnal. He talks about the fact that there are believers who may not be carnal, but they're just natural naturally minded they're dictated to just by their feelings and by their circumstances they're not spiritual people who live by faith and know what it is to listen to the holy spirit and, and walk with him and of course god's desire is that we all grow out of spiritual babyhood and we grow to be people who live by faith know our identity is in christ and live and walk in the power of the holy spirit in the pursuit of god's kingdom aims Amen? Amen. But he calls them carnal. And why does he call them carnal? He says this, and he says, I fed you with milk and not with solid food, because until now you were not able to receive it. And even now you're still not able, for you are still carnal. For where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? What an expression, mere men. You know, you and I are not mere men. And mere women. Oh, you can obviously say to the ladies, you're not mere men. But I mean, to men and women, we're not just mere human beings. There is a third of us that is connected with divinity. Amen? Christ is in us. 
our certain hope of glory. And the more we learn to associate with that truth and embrace that truth, the more we experience his power and presence amongst us. He says, when one says, I'm of Paul, and another, I'm of Apollos, are you not carnal? Who then is Paul and who is Apollos but ministers? That word in the Greek literally means servants. Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord gave to each one. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. There is a promise of increase here, and this is the source of increase. The Lord is the source of increase. Amen? The Lord is the source of increase, which of course means that that should encourage us into prayer and dependence upon the Lord. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15 and 16, the, the word of God talks us about the pathway of increase. And the pathway of increase is where every member of the body of Christ does their part. We, the church grows by that which every part supplies. You've got a part to play. Amen? We've all got a part to play. We need to be active in the church of Jesus Christ. And as we are, the scripture tells us increase will come. We need to do our part. Let's look at 2 Corinthians 10, verse 15 and 16 for a moment again. And uh, this is a passage of scripture. We're just spending some time looking at with the leaders today. But in 2 Corinthians 10, we're going to look here at verse 12 to 18. But Paul says this, we dare not class ourselves or compare ourselves with those who commend themselves. But they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. There's a lot of wisdom in that, isn't there? <laughs> not to compare yourself with somebody else. You know, the only time that it's good to compare yourself with someone else is to allow your heart to be provoked to pursue Jesus more than you currently are. You know, uh, Derek Prince used to say, you know the definition of a fanatic. He said, it's somebody who loves Jesus more than you do. <laughs> you know, and, and, and the truth about it is we all need to be provoked from time to time. I meet people who provoke me in God by the depth of their prayer life, by their godliness, of how they love Jesus and how that comes through in their love for people and the, the ministry and the power of the Holy Spirit through them and what they've accomplished in God. And it really provokes my heart. That's a good thing. But what you don't want to do is be comparing yourself with others in such a way, or, or as a church, comparing yourself with another church and saying, oh, you know, you can do one of, you know, one of either things that isn't very helpful. You can look at some, a church, you know, that seems to be ahead of you and is growing more and doing great things. And you can become discouraged as you compare yourself. And if you do that, you lose pace. You lose growth yourself and increase. If you're focusing on that and you come under condemnation or discouragement. On the other side of the coin, you can look back and, and see uh, another group or, or another believer who's not doing as well as you and doesn't seem to be growing so much in God and, and everything else. And you can kind of think, oh, if only they had the revelation. <laughs> <laughs> or, or, or whatever else. And, you know, become a bit proud. And of course, not resistant proud, but they give grace to the humble. And so it's so important that we just walk living our life humbly dependent but faith-filled with our eyes on Jesus and with our eyes firmly on the prize who is Jesus Christ himself. Amen? Amen. 
Glory to God. So this is what we're called to do. And then he goes on, and I, I love, you know, I had the privilege of meeting Reinhard Bonke a few times, and Reinhard used to say, um, there are, I, I can't quite do his accent, you know, that's <laughs> there are no competitors. <laughs> but there was, there's the way he always says, there are no competitors in the kingdom of God, only colleagues, only colleagues. I love the way Reinhardt used to talk. He was always so straightforward and simple to the point that everybody could understand. And it's true, there are no competitors in the kingdom, only colleagues. Nonetheless, he says this, we, however, will not boast beyond measure, but within the limits of the sphere which God appointed us, a sphere which especially includes you. For we are not overextending ourselves as though our authority did not extend to you, for it was to you that we came with the gospel of Christ. And what he's talking about here, he says that every minister, every ministry, every church really has a certain sphere of influence for the kingdom, you know, that is allotted by God, is given by God. But then he goes on and he says that actually just because God gave to you a certain sphere of influence for his kingdom, it doesn't mean it has to end there. He says it can grow, it can increase. And this is what he says here as we go on to the next verse. He says, for we are, in verse 15, not boasting of things beyond measure, that is in other men's labors, but having hope that as your faith is increased, we shall be greatly enlarged by you in our sphere to preach the gospel in the regions beyond you and not to boast in another man's sphere of accomplishment. But he who glories, let him glory in the Lord, for not he who commends himself is approved of whom the Lord commends I just want to say this, you know, this is a time to preach faith. This is a time to feed your faith. Faith is like a muscle. It needs good nutrition and exercise. And really, you feed your faith on the promises of God, and you strengthen your faith by, by stepping out and putting it into action. You don't ever challenge your faith to anything. I think about this, when was the last time you led someone to Christ? When was the last time you prayed for somebody to be healed and saw it happen? When was the last time you stepped up to prophesy and have a word of knowledge? You know, all of those kind of, they're good questions to think about. Because actually, if it's been a while, it's time to stir up the gifts of God that are in you. To stir up your faith and to go for it. And when you do, the Spirit of God will come on you and he will empower you and he'll give you fruit and increase from it. It really is time to step up, to feed our faith, and to step up, and God will bring the increase. Well, how should we respond to these things? I, I just want to, I want to just list four things that really struck me in preparing this word about the call to increase. Four things that we should adopt. First of all, it's time to adopt the Abrahamic pattern. The Abrahamic pattern. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 11. Genesis 11, verse 31. It struck me, actually, when I, when I was preparing for this, I was looking at, um, looking, considering the life of Abraham, and uh, as I was reading back into Genesis 12, uh, I, I just, my eyes lifted up in the text, to um, going up to verse 27 and then dropping down and seeing Abraham's father, of course, who, who is a man called Terah. 
And I, I thought about the fact that Abraham left Ur of the Chaldees, and that's, and that's the way it, it speaks of him in Hebrews 12, as a great hero of faith. But actually, it, it wasn't just Abraham who left Ur of the Chaldees. He went with Terah. Terah was his father. And uh, we find this, uh, the whole family basically goes. Um, but when we get to verse 31, it says basically that they, they sent their way out to go to Canaan. In verse 31 of chapter 11, it says, Terah took his son Abraham and his grandson Lot, the son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, his son Abraham's wife, and they went out with them from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to the land of Canaan. And they came to Haran and dwelt there. Now, actually, the aim wasn't Haran, was it? The aim was Canaan. But you go on there and it says, so the days of terror were 205 years, and terror died in Haran. It's quite a thought that actually they were called by God originally to go and to leave from Ur of the Chaldees and go to Canaan. They were on their way, but terror found a spot that was comfortable halfway along the journey. You know, in my own experience, and I know the experience of so many, I've been full time now, but for, well, around 35 years now. And, and really, when I think about it, you know, the call of God is designed in our lives for all of us to feel like when the Lord first calls you to do something, it feels like it's going to happen. It's all going to happen tomorrow. Anyone ever felt that? God speaks to you, gives you a vision, he says something to you, uh, maybe a promise of revival, a promise of, of the Holy Spirit doing some amazing things through you, and many people come to Jesus. And my goodness, it all feels like it's going to happen tomorrow. And the call of God is designed in our life to be that way. Because actually, the intention when God calls you, it, it, the Holy, it's like the Holy Spirit just speaks with you and he wants you to lift you up, out from your comfort zone and propel you forward in the pursuit of the vision and destiny of God for your life. And so the call of God is designed that way, you know. And you know, it, it, you start running in the purpose of God and uh, my goodness, you know, I mean, I, I, I look back and, uh, I mean, I, I was so on fire when I first went full-time in the ministry. I was so on fire for what God had put in my heart to do. You know, I, I, there were times I, I would just forget to eat. There were times I would, I, I, I totally forgot all, all exercise because I was just totally focused on winning souls. Win souls, win souls, win souls. And if you're not winning souls, get out of my way. You know, I just it was like that, you know. But as time goes by, it's, you know, if you don't see everything that God put in your heart happening within a certain period of time, it can be easy to settle down where it becomes more comfortable. And yet, there is much that lies ahead. And I believe there is a challenge to us in these days not to be settled. It's very, very easy just to settle back into your comfort zone. Everything's okay, everything's reasonable, but actually it's not the original vision that God put in your heart and what the Lord promised you. And that means there's still ground to be taken. You need to stir yourself up again. Don't be a settler. Maintain the pioneer spirit. Where is God sending you? What is God calling you to do? Think about that today. It needs to be a plumb line over your life. What does Jesus want me to do with my life? Is life just about making enough money to live and get by? And, 
all the rest of it, raise kids and then on for the next generation. Well, all of those things are noble and, and, and right, but actually God has greater purpose for all our lives. Think about it. Take time to pray about it. What is it that Jesus wants you to do? In our own family, my dad will well remember as I do, um, Pop Padley was my great-grandfather, my dad's grandfather. He's the only man that I've ever met who in his later years, and by, because he told me so, he used to give away 90% of his income to World Mission and live on 10%. He was still winning souls at the age of 100. And I can remember um, when I went full-time in the ministry and I was, I was working with Don Double, I was 19 years old and I, I lived with Don and Heather Double. Uh, for three years. And I remember sitting in my bedroom one day and Heather Double came around and she knocked on the door. I opened the door and she said, oh, there's a letter for you. And I opened the letter and it was from Pop Paddy. We always used to call him Pop in the family. Pop Paddy. And, and inside there was a check for 300 pounds. And you know, it was a lot of money for, you know, for me, let's say. So I, I can remember I was very blessed by the check, but I was even more um, impacted by what he wrote in his letter. And this is what he said. And bearing in mind, at the time, he was about 92. And this is what he wrote to me. He said, Dear Johnny, they all got with Johnny in the letter. He said, Dear Johnny, um, he said, You know, I'm so grateful. He said, I hope you're doing well and the Lord is blessing your ministry. He said, um, You know, I'm so grateful to Jesus for all he's done in my life. Uh, he's done so much for me, and I don't really feel that I've done much for him. He said, So I, I'm seriously uh, praying about going to Africa onto the mission field. I want to do a gospel campaign and lead many people to Jesus. He says, you know, and, and uh, he said, but the family is discouraging me. I don't know why. <laughs> That's his heart. And you know, but this kind of, this sort of pursuit, this heart, you know, and, and, you know, and I can remember actually even before I went full time in the debate, forgive me if you haven't told the story before, but it made such an impact on me that actually just before I went full time with Don, uh, I spent from September to December in 1987 um, working on Pop Padley's nursery, uh, you know, just digging the ground and all of that. And I was doing that in between doing missions with Don, just making sure I was going to the right the right place to be trained for the ministry. Um, and I can remember one day, Pop had just, he had had an operation on his prostate, which actually had been the first operation he'd had since the trenches in the First World War, when a, a German bullet had gone into his shoulder and uh, they stuck iodine in it and just stuck a knife in and cut out the bullet. That was the, pre the only previous one that he ever had. Well, anyway, um, I would go there reasonably early in the morning, and uh, he was always up so much earlier than me. And uh, yeah, he, you know, I got used to his rhythm. His rhythm was half five in the morning. He was up for two hours prayer and in the word. And then he would go out and he would start digging the ground at about half past seven. I would turn up at about eight. And when I would turn up at eight, you know, he would be standing out there on the nursery ground and he would pick up the spade and shout over the, the allotment to me. And he would say, Hallelujah, John, isn't Jesus wonderful? <laughs> and uh, well, anyway, I turned up one day. That was what normally happened every morning to the clock. 
Anyway, I, I turned up one particular day and he wasn't out there cleaning the ground. I looked around everywhere and I wondered where he was and I'm going out to Bob. You're right, Bob, Bob, very Bob. And I'm really wondering at the age of 92 whether he's actually gone on to be with the Lord. So then I go into his, into his house that he built with his own hands and, uh, and I go in there and as I walk in there, I'm looking around, I'm really expecting to find a body, and I'm going to Bob, you all right? Bob, you okay? Eventually, I come around the corner, and he's sitting in this favorite chair in the corner, and he's just sitting there quiet. And I said to him, Bob, are you all right? And he looks at me, and he says, he wouldn't let me in. He wouldn't let me in. I said, who, Bob? Who wouldn't let you in? I can't tell. Is he kind of going a bit tonight? I said, who wouldn't let you in? Jesus. I said, Paul, what do you mean Jesus wouldn't let you in? He said to me, well, I was up at half five for prayer, as I always am. He said, kneeling down at my bedside, and suddenly, John, this morning, he said, my spirit left my body. And I rose higher, and suddenly I, I was looking down from the ceiling at my body, kneeling by the bedside. And then I rose higher, went through the ceiling, I went higher and higher, and then I, and then I came to heaven, and I looked, there was all this grass that was leading up to the to the gates and, and to the, you know, to the New Jerusalem, where he described it. And he said, mine, he said, it's so full of life, John. He said, all the grass is buzzing. He said, it just, he said, I came up to the, and he said, and then he said to me, I met Abraham. He said, this morning at the gates. And, uh, and uh, I can't remember it was Moses or somebody else that he met. And then he paused, and I mean, the look of wonder on his face. I mean, he, he just said, John, they knew me. They knew my name. And they came up to the city. Do you know everyone in heaven knows each other? He said, they said, Henry, great to see you. I said, no, I found myself saying, Abraham. <laughs> he says, and we talked together. And he says, but while we were talking together, he said, suddenly, he said, this bright light came towards us, brighter and brighter. It was so bright, he said, I couldn't look. Until eventually, he said, I, I, I just... So I'd take another quick look. And when I did, he said, I saw the shape of a man. He said, I just knew inwardly that it was Jesus. He said, and as Jesus came close, close to me, suddenly I saw his eyes. Now, the truth of the matter is, I had up to that point in my life, bear in mind, I, I had known him from very young, at times that he would come around to the family, but I had never seen my great-grandfather cry. He wasn't given to it. So I'd never seen him cry, but that was the moment when he talked about the eyes of Jesus and just began to, to weep. He just broke. Uh, he just shook and trembled and tears poured down his face. And these are what he said to me. He said, you know, John, he said, if you ever see the eyes of Jesus, he said, you will never forget me. He said, in the moment, I knew he knew everything about me, but loved me completely. He said, you know, in this world, you don't want people to know everything about you. He said, they may reject you. He said, but Jesus, he knows everything about us and loves us completely. You know, he said at that moment, I mean, I, I, I was awestruck as he was talking. And then he said, Johnny, he said, at that moment, Jesus said to me, you've got to go back. And he said, I said to him, Lord, I don't want to go back. I don't want to go back to that awful world. He said, after being here with you, he said, even the best experiences of life, he said, they pale into, into insignificance. He said, they just seem 
They, they just seem awful by comparison to being here with you and all, all of the glory of your presence. But Jesus, Jesus said to him, Henry, and there are more people I want you to reach. You have to go back. 92, and there's more people I want you to reach. But actually, you know, I stayed in touch with him a fair bit between then. And when he turned 100, he finally went home to be with the Lord. Do you know between the age of 92 to 100, he led nearly 100 people to Jesus? <laughs> Just personally. I was witness to one of it when I went in in Kingston Hospital after he had, you know, a, a checkup. And I walked in there to the men's ward and, and I walked in and, you know, there was four or five men around there. You know, he just suddenly sat up in his bed and said, uh, oh, he said, everybody welcome my, my great grandson, John. So he goes all over the world making the devil mad. <laughs> <laughs> and he just, he just kind of wondering, well, how, how do you respond to that, you know? But, uh, but he began to tell stories about in the First World War, you know, when the, when the boulders would roll aside and then the big German machine gun shot bullets. He said, as I was running up there, he said, the bullets came towards me, hit the invisible barrier and killed the men on either side of it. This is what I did. He said, after the war, he said, I struggled. Used to weep sometimes, thinking, why was I spared? And they were. He says, but God protected my life. And, you know, I can remember at that moment while he's telling the story, you know, in, in this old, in, in this men's war, suddenly the guy next to him suddenly says to him, you didn't tell me that. You didn't tell me that it was all as real as that. Oh, it's point. You have to understand, Pop, we only read this, the old King James. So he suddenly turned around to the guy and said, well, you didn't want to know, did you, you old sinner? <laughs> he said, but if you repent, the Lord will have mercy on you and save you. Actually, he led him to Jesus there and then. But you know something? It's not time to retire. It's time to refire. It's time to refocus because the Lord has great things. You don't become a settler, but rise up to possess the land that he is giving you. It's time to embrace that Abrahamic pattern. Abraham is called the father of our faith. And in so many ways, he is the example of faith that we follow. We also need to embrace the Elijah call. What do I mean by the Elijah call? Well, in 1 Kings chapter 18, Elijah confronted the people of Israel and said, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him and worship him. But if Baal is God, worship him. But don't falter between two opinions. And of course, we have the fire coming down on the altar and licking up all the water and all the sacrifices and all that happens under the instruction of God to Elijah. But the challenge is in our, in our day to really stand up and to stand out for the truth of the word of God. Churches up and down our country, and I don't just mean the national church, that is certainly in this state at the moment, but there are groupings of churches up and down our country, even as I speak, that are wrestling, and some of them have already done so, that wrestling with the whole thing of whether or not they split over issues like the LGBT stuff and all of that. And, and actually, we owe it to the next generation to stand up and to boldly proclaim the truth of the word of God. I always say to, the, to our guys who are out in the streets, I said, listen, Jesus didn't say go into all the world and, and bash the LGBT community or, or bash the Muslims. That's not we're to love everybody. I said, we're to go into all the world and preach the gospel. But nonetheless, you know, when the issues come up, we, we have to be faithful to what scripture says. They're not the only issues, but they're some of the main issues. But actually, there are many in the church 
let alone the world, that are compromised at this time. And it's time for a clear call, a clear call to go out, to be lovers of the truth of the word of God. Amen? Amen. One of the things that is always concerning to me, I grew up under ministry, both under dad's ministry very much, as you know, a, a word and spirit ministry and, and the church back in Chima. I'm so grateful for my heritage in, in the family and in the church back there. We're very much a word and spirit um, church. And, uh, and then working with Don Double and, and all of the guys who were his, uh, his running mates, like Derek Prince and David Borson and all of those guys were, that was my Bible school. And it was all very word and spirit, uh, clear preaching of the word of God and the ministry of the Holy Spirit and heartfelt worship and, and allowing room for the gifts of the spirit. Uh, but it always concerns me because of that where you have ministries where it's all power, but there isn't the solid line of the word of God. We need to be in the day in which we're if, if the prophetic and power ministry becomes separated from scripture, you'll always end up in heresy and error, sooner or later. Than that. So we've got to be people who are committed to the word of God, and we've got to be people who are committed to the scriptures, you know, to the power of the spirit. We've got to have both. It's not, it's not one or the other, is it? It's both. Um, but there are places around where actually the, the measure of the content of the word of God going out to the people of God uh, is fairly thin. And there's, there's lots, of, lots of good works and there's, you know, some of the demonstration of the spirit, but actually a lot of time, you know, there's a real need for a return to the word of God in our day. Derek Prince used to say, you love God as much as you love his word, that much and no more. So it is time to stand up and to stand out in our day. Jesus did not call us to blend in. Amen. He called us to stand out. And we mustn't ever be ashamed of him. We also need to be those in this day who respond by stepping out of the boat in faith. In Matthew 14, verse 22 to 33, we get the account, of course, of, of Jesus walking on the water. And Peter crying out to him, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come and, and walk on the water to you. I've always thought that was a bit strange. I think if that was me, I would have been saying, Jesus, if it's you, come and get us out of this mess. You know? But instead of that, you know, he says, oh, I, I just want to be like you. I think one of the things that really strikes me is that, you know, in, in those days, um, I was always taught this, and I've heard it in so many different uh, situations. I, I'm convinced it's true. But in those days, when Jewish fishermen were reported as seeing a ghost, out walking on the water, for them that was a sign that they were going to die in a storm. And so that's why Peter and why the other disciples cry out when they see Jesus walking on the water and they think it's a ghost. So they cry out for fear, not for fear that it's possibly a ghost, but for fear of death. And then Jesus immediately speaks to their fears and says, do not be afraid, it is I. The amazing thing is, is that Peter, in order to, in order to really clarify to himself that it is Jesus in the midst of the storm, he says, if it is you, Lord, tell me to get out of the boat and walk on the water. In other words, to be like you, to do what you do. Because actually, this is how Peter knew, this is the Jesus he knew, the Jesus he knew, who was discipling him, was always challenging him 
I mean, bear in mind this is Matthew 14. He's already gone out under the commission of Jesus in Matthew 10 to raise the dead, to cast out demons, to heal the sick. Jesus was always pushing them out to do the naturally impossible. So Peter says, how do I not really know it's you, Jesus? Well, the real Jesus that I know, he, he pushes me out the boat to do what he does. So Jesus said, it's you. Tell me to step out the boat because I know I can walk on your word. And I really believe that in the day in which we're living, listen, we, we do owe the world the demonstration of the power of the Spirit. It is normal New Testament Christianity. Signs and wonders, miracles. Thank God. In the last few weeks, we've had some wonderful, wonderful miracles. I'll just share just a few of them that we have. Um, it, it's just been great. Uh, about three weeks ago, um, I was ministering with a, a, a South African church plant down in London. And, uh, and a lady walked in um, who she had, since she had a child about two years before, Everywhere she went, um, something had happened to her in her hips and down her legs. The, the doctors didn't understand. She, she just had lots of different scans. Um, but she could just walk about 12 steps and then she would collapse on the floor. And, um, and in lots of pain, excruciating pain, and wouldn't be able to get herself up at all. So she came in with her husband and with the child in a wheelchair into the meeting. Um, as she came in, I was just watching, and she came in about halfway through the worship, and I noticed that she came through the door and through the wheelchair, and instinctively in my heart, I heard the Holy Spirit say, you know, she's going to walk tonight. She's going to walk. So I, when I, I gave the appeal, people came to Jesus and started to pray for the sick, and the Lord was touching people in one way or another, and eventually I suddenly come to her, and she sits in her wheelchair. And so I said, tell me about your situation. She tells me, then I pray for her. Uh, and then on the inside, the Holy Spirit says to me, tell, tell her to get up. So I said, look, it's time to get up. So I said, let me help you. So I helped her up and, uh, you know, I said, right, now. I said, we're going to take some steps. She said, I can't do more than 12. I said, well, let's see about that. Let's pray together. And I said, every step is a miracle. Every step is setting faith into your healing. Let's walk. So we, I'm just holding my arm. We're walking together like this. Well, anyway, suddenly we get past um, we get past 12 and she continues to walk. 12 past 12, she's 15, 20 steps. And then we stop. I said, now, how are you doing? She says, well, I'm doing a lot better, but I, I've still got some, some pain has gone over into this foot. And then suddenly I was about to pray for her again. And the Holy Spirit said to me, tell her to run. You know, you know sometimes the Holy Spirit tells you to do things uh, or instruct people to do things that are contrary to the natural way of thinking at that moment. So I just said to her, look, I'll tell you what, I'm going to quickly lay hands you. And then I said, I really think you need to run. She said, you do. I said, I do. <laughs> I said, so. So she said, so anyway, it's pretty great for us. I said, now go on then, take a run. And she suddenly, she just took a few, suddenly she started running. And she runs around the building. She got, she, she ran right around. By the time she was almost back to me, she suddenly, she collapsed on the floor, but not in pain. But just in total thanksgiving praise to God, she fell on her knees, her hands were raised, she was shouting and singing praise to God, and she was totally healed. And there's a, a wonderful miracle, she pushed her and wheelchair her out that night, and, uh, and it was beautiful. Well, just the week before, I'd been ministering in, in uh, an HTB church um, down in um, near Kingston, and uh, we had a wonderful Sunday. The, 
The vicar didn't know where all of these new people came in, they came in just off the streets. And uh, lots of them, the people who you know, had, had responded to the gospel before, we had 40 salvations on the Sunday, which is great. Uh, and then we started praying, started praying for the sick. And I gave out a bunch of, uh, of words of knowledge, but there was a guy at the back who had MS amongst a whole load of other conditions. Um, and this is his own story about it. So I, I gave out, I don't know, 10 or 15 words of knowledge. Not one of them was relevant to him. Not one. Other people came forward to respond to them. But you know, he sat there at the back and he thought to himself, you know something? He just said, Lord, none of these words relate to me. But I, I just, I'm just fed up of being disabled. He said, I thank you for what you've done through my life while I've been disabled, but I would much prefer to be not disabled. So he said, uh, well, I'm going to go up there and get my healing. I like it. That's faith talking about it, isn't it? And so he came up in prayer. And, you know, I don't actually remember all this. I remember it all. It, 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 I remember praying for him. And I can remember him being, you know, telling me that he felt so much better. But it was almost a little bit of a blur. It all happened so fast. Um, but according to him, and sometimes this happens to me, uh, you know, I, I suddenly hear myself saying something. And apparently I told him his name and describe all of his conditions. And, uh, you know, I don't remember all of these. I remember telling him a couple of conditions, but whatever. Um, sometimes I find you don't say something, but they hear it anyway. Oh, I think Jesus just fills in the details. Um, and, you know, but he got totally healed. And this is the thing, is the truth is he is in MS. All of his muscles in his lungs and his legs completely shrunk. So he was struggling getting around. But apparently what's happened to him, and he's now been written, he's, you know, he's no longer really disabled. He's been examined, he's totally, totally confirmed healed. Um, but apparently while I was laying hands on him, and his legs, all the, all the muscles in his legs just regrew while praying for him. And he's just been totally healed. You know. they, these are just some of the miracles that are happening in meetings. But then um, I think of some of the, our guys when we do the impact training in Leicester last week, we had an amazing time there. Um, uh, 75 or so people came to the Lord on the streets during the training. It's not the mission yet, but during the training. But, I, but one of my guys, I remember just coming in, you know, oh, uh, well, there were so many different, different miracles that happened. Um, but it just tells you, I mean, with these guys, when you, sometimes when you train guys, Don Devil always used to say from his prayers that I go past him. I still don't think I'm anywhere near uh, where he was at. But, uh, but anyway, I know he prays for me and I love it. Um, but it's a huge encouragement when you train guys and you see them go beyond you uh, sometimes in, in the ministry. Some of the guys I've had the joy of training are now ahead of me in, in street work. And, uh, and one of them, Luis, he's an Argentinian. He walked straight into Leicester University and he walked on the ground and there were eight students sitting around. And uh, as they were sitting around just having their lunch, he walked up there. The Holy Spirit immediately stirs his heart for one girl who's sitting at the end. And the Holy Spirit says to him, um, she's, she self-harms. She's got major problems with anxiety. She's got this, that, and the other. He says, um, approach her, offer to pray for her. I'll heal her in front of them all, and all later them will give their lives to me. And so he walked up straight up to her. He said, he said, I need to say to you, she says, why are you coming to talk to me? He says, because Jesus loves you, and he wants to heal you of, this, of the chronic anxiety and depression you suffer with, and he wants to set you free from the self-harm that's plagued your life two years as you've been at university. 
She broke down in tears. She said, it's all true. It's all true. How did you know? He says, well, Jesus told me he loves you. He'll set free. Praise for her. She is, she is set free. She's weeping. She's sobbing them to joy. She gets saved. The moment that happens, then all the other students, one after the other, say, we want what she's got. And, and they'd all be to the Lord. Come on. Mm-hmm. Just beautiful. One of the other guys, he, he said to me, he said, John, I've never done this in my life. But I walked up to this guy. He said he was deaf. And, uh, you know, and, and the first thing was listening to the right one. But, but, you know, anyway, what's going on? You know, and eventually, just, you know, he, he looked up and, and he said, and then I noticed he kept going like this. So I said to him, so he said to him, you got a problem with your hearing? And he said, he said I can barely hear you. I he said, take your hearing aids off. And he said, I'm just, I'm going to pray for you. He prayed for him there and then on the street. Both of his ears opened. He broke down in tears, gave his life to Christ. You know, and all of this is just, this stuff has all just happened regularly. To be honest with you, it, it, it's pretty much every week amongst the teens. And God is moving on the streets. Of the, I remember when I first went into ministry, I would sit with some, even some Pentecostal pastors or some large churches, and they would say to me, John, I believe that one day when revival comes, we'll see miracles on the streets. Well, that day is here. It's actually been happening for a long time, but, but there is an increase. And we need to get with the flow of what God is doing. It's time to step out of the boat, not to be afraid to fail. Even when he did take his eyes off Jesus and began to sing, the moment he cried out, the Lord was there and lifted him up. He said, oh, of you little faith. The Greek says, oh, you of undeveloped faith. In other words, you've got faith, but you need to develop it, Peter. <clears throat> Why did you doubt? Well, it's time to be stepping out in faith, to build our faith and to step out in God. And really, as a last point with all of this, as as an encouragement, it's so important that we do remember, that we remind ourselves that all of this flows from the secret place of relationship with God. The secret is the secret place. Your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Let's look at a few scriptures for a moment about that. They're just uh, very powerful. Mark chapter one. Mark chapter one. We find this. Jesus, um, this is really Mark's version of what was happening the night before in, uh, in Matthew 8. Matthew records it, but Mark brings it on a lot earlier. And in Mark chapter one. Mark has recorded that the evening before, many demons are cast out, the sick are healed, the whole city was gathered together at the door. Can you imagine what that would be like, that the whole of Bacton was at your door? What a place. What a thing to be happening. If that was me, I wouldn't want to leave. I'd be thinking, revival's broken out. This is what we've been praying for for years. But look what happened with Jesus. The next verse, verse 35. Now in the morning, having risen a long while before daylight, he went out and departed to a solitary place. And there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. When they found him, they said to him, everyone is looking for you. But he said to them, let us go into the next towns that I may preach there also. Because for this purpose, I have come forth. And he was preaching in their synagogues throughout all Galilee, 
and casting out demons. Well, you can see Jesus knew his purpose. Jesus was not dictated to by human pressure. He was able to walk free because he lived from the secret place. It was an internal strength from the power of the Holy Spirit that was flowing in him through the out of relationship with his father, enabling him to stay true to his call, even while human pressure is on him to stick around and be here. And it's really understandable, isn't it? You know, if everybody who's sick is being healed and the demons are being cast out and the whole city is at the door, well, you can understand it's the kind of meeting everybody wants to be in. But Jesus was committed to the will of his father. He received that strength. He was up early for prayer every day. We find this in Luke chapter 6, verse 12 to 19. Jesus has spent the whole night in prayer, receiving instruction from his father of who he should choose as his team, the 12, from a, apart from the disciples. He had many disciples following him, many people following him, but he chose 12 from amongst them to be with him, and then he was sent out to heal the sick, to cast out demons, proclaim the kingdom. And so those were the 12 apostles. So he spends the night in prayer to gain wisdom from his father to know who's Jews. That's important, isn't it? It's important, you know, at this stage in your lives, that the Spirit of God will lead and will guide you to the church. But it's really important. If you want his guidance, you have to take time with him. Amen. But the amazing thing, he comes down from the mountain with his disciples to a whole crowd of people from Tyre and Sidon all around who had come, Luke says, to hear him and be healed of their diseases. And everyone sought to touch him because power was going out from him and healing them all. Isn't that awesome? If we want that kind of measure of the power of the Spirit, we need to take time, devoted time with Jesus. Amen? Last of all, we find coming towards the cross in Luke 22, verse 39 to 46. Very powerful passage. Jesus goes into the Garden of Gethsemane together with the twelve. He tells them to stay there, to wait and to pray, lest they enter into temptation. He knows what's coming and that they're going to need strength to overcome temptation. He goes about a stone's throw away from them, kneels down by a rock and starts to pray to his father. And we know he's under intense pressure as he considers all that he's about to go through. And literally the capillaries in his skull here, literally, you know, in his forehead, his capillaries burst, and his sweat becomes like great drops of blood. There's a medical condition that describes it. Isaiah said the chastisement that gave us peace was on him. And by his wounds we're healed. So Jesus says under all of this intense emotional pressure, I can remember in 1984, during, I think it was 84, during the Falklands War. And I can remember at school, I was just 13 years old at the time. And I can remember reading one of the newspapers that was there in the school library. And there was a picture on the freight, on the, on the Daily Mail there. There was a picture on the front of the Daily Mail. And it showed one of our sailors on one of the frigates with, a, with literally blood all down his face. And underneath was the thing that, that a, an Exocet missile, he'd been standing 
there on the frigate and an Argentine exocet missile had shot just past his head and had missed it, but the intense stress and pressure of that moment had made his blood pressure go through the roof and it burst the capillary, you see it, and the blood had come down, like sweat and blood all the way down his face. That's exactly what was happening to Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And yet in the middle of this is the incredible thing, is Luke records this, being under intense pressure, he prayed more earnestly. And God sent an angel from heaven to strengthen him. And he surrenders his will to the Father, saying, not my will, but yours will be done. Phenomenal. He then goes to the disciples and we find their response to emotional pressure. He finds them sleeping from sorrow. How many of you have ever been under a lot of emotional strain and pressure and actually just having a kit has helped a bit? Going for a snooze. So you had to regain a bit of strength to deal with it. It's exactly what they were doing. They knew that Jesus was going to die. Jesus had told them, prophesied his own death and his own resurrection three times before he went to the cross. He knew what was coming, that he needed strength to go through for the joy set before him that I'm looking at tonight. He went through the cross. But it's in that place of prayer and surrender that he is strengthened to go through all the way and he doesn't falter. But that despite the warning, the disciples slept from sorrow. And when the time of testing came, they all fled. We need the strength that comes from the secret place if we're going to be faithful all the way to the end and we're going to overcome and we're going to be fruitful and productive in the kingdom of God. It's no surprise really that after, after about 18 months of following Jesus around in his ministry, that the number one thing the disciples <laughs> asked was, Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. It was like most conferences today would be, Lord, give us seven steps to raising the dead. <laughs> but no, they just said, Lord, teach us to pray. They, they had realized by close association with him, watching his life day in, day out, that the source of his power, of his wisdom, of everything was prayer. I thought I'd close tonight. I just found this literally the, the other day. It came through um, from UCB. And it just really, uh, it just really struck me um, and blessed me. And I trust it will be a blessing to you as it was to me. Your prayers can make great things happen. James 5.16 in the New Century Version says, when a believing person prays, great things happen. It's a true story. While holidaying in England, D.L. Moody visited a London church that was pretty much spiritually dead. The pastor recognized him and asked him to preach at the morning service. Reluctantly, Moody agreed. Afterwards, he told a friend the congregation was so unresponsive, it was all he could do to finish his sermon. Later, he remembered he had committed to preach there again that night. <laughs> Wishing he had never interrupted his holiday plans, he spent the afternoon dreading what was ahead. But behind the scenes, something was happening that Moody 
knew nothing about. After the morning service, an elderly lady met her invalid sister for lunch and told her about Moody's upcoming visit. Her sister's eyes lit up and she exclaimed, I've been praying that God will send Moody to England. Put away the lunch, sis. We'll spend the afternoon fasting and praying for tonight's service. When Moody took the pulpit that night, an electric sense of God's presence filled the sanctuary. He preached like a man on fire. And when he issued an invitation for people to follow Christ, 500 people responded. Thinking they had misunderstood, Moody had them sit down again. <laughs> well, he re-explained the gospel call. But when he issued a second invitation, the same 500 stood to receive Christ. That Sunday initiated one of the greatest revivals ever to sweep England. What helped to make it happen? Two elderly ladies who understood their church desperately needed the fire of God's spirit. They believed God's promise. When a believing person prays, great things happen. Today, tap into the power of prayer. Your prayers can help ignite the fire of God and bring another sweeping move of God in England today. It's a wonderfully encouraging testimony. The reality is that, you know, let this become a hub of prayer. Let our churches, our ministries, our lives become hubs of prayer from which we also hear the Holy Spirit and then step out in faith to do what he calls us to do and see an amazing harvest. I believe there are amazing harvests. So for me, sometimes, you know, sometimes I go out to share Christ, just, you know, my daily living or, or when I'm out on mission. And, you know, sometimes I spend the whole morning with one person and that one person is my mission that day. Other times I'm preaching before thousands and that's wonderful. But the truth is, Jesus had time for a lady at a well and the children on his lap and blessing them. And, you know, and also minister to the multitudes. We've got to be willing for it all. But I just have a sense in my heart that uh, tonight, in this new season, and as we're talking about increasing and acceleration, you know, one of the things that's necessary is to cast off weights, things that hold us back, maybe sins, maybe memories of the past that you need to let go of, maybe people that you need to forgive, maybe things that just weigh you down, maybe even things you believe about yourself that others have imposed upon you, or that you or the enemy has been trying to impose upon you. What you believe about yourself is really important, you know. That you believe that you are who God says you are. Because that's the truth, isn't it? And that you can do what God says you can do. That's something that is very foundational, but we have to remind ourselves of it throughout the whole of our lives. I am who God says I am, and I can do what God says I can do. I just have a sense in my heart that there are some here who need to just relinquish, to let go of that self-belief that is a negative belief Maybe someone says you'll never amount to anything, you'll never be able to do this, to do that. We need to let go of that today. Maybe some of us here today need actually to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, released in the power of God, released in tongues, 
My goodness me, I, I can tell you, if you don't have the power of the Holy Spirit, pretty much everything that we've talked about tonight, you're not going to be able to do it. You need the power of the Holy Spirit for all of that. None of us can successfully fulfill ministry and the requirements and the call of God upon our lives without the power of the Spirit. We need Him. And so if you're not yet filled with the Spirit and you want that, and you do have to want that, incidentally, I, I've been in churches, this is the honest truth, I've been in churches where people have come up to me at the end, you know, and maybe I've done a message on the baptism of the Spirit, and maybe it's been in a church that has a tendency to cessationism and things like that. And you know, I've done all that and, and I've given an appeal. And I've literally had guys come down the front to be prayed for. They stood in front of me. This is what they've done. They put their hands and said, okay, well, I guess I guess I have to be filled with the Spirit. So just let's get, get this done with to pray for me. Then. You know, they never get much. Because, of course, the condition is you've got to be thirsty. You've got to want the Holy Spirit. But there are others who come so thirsty. That actually, even before you raise your hand, they're filled and they start speaking in other tongues. And, you know, they're empowered by the Spirit, etc. Because actually, they they thirst, they believe, they thirst, and they come to Jesus. Those are the conditions. You believe in Jesus, and some of you, that He's your Savior, He's your Lord. You come, you come in faith, you come thirsty, you fill you with the Holy Spirit. Thank God. You can have that today. Please don't be like there's an occasion to get people who say, Well, I want the power, but I don't want the tongues. Yeah, again, the quote from Don Double, he always used to say, That's like going to a shoe shop and saying, Please give me a pair of shoes, but leave out the tongues. <laughs> he, says, he says, You don't get a full pair. <laughs> I'm so grateful to the Lord I speak in tongues. I think if I didn't speak in tongues, I wouldn't be in ministry today. I really wouldn't be. Because praying in other tongues has strengthened my spirit, kept me going, giving me revelation, giving me vision. Anytime I need an answer from the Lord, she tell us praying in the spirit, and then the interpretation comes up the spirit is the answer from the Holy Spirit. Thank God for the Holy Spirit. You need that. We all need that. So I'd like to pray for those who, who want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I would like to pray for those who recognize they need to take a step. And actually, it could be a really good conscious step to leave where you're sitting and come stand somewhere and just say, you know what? I'm leaving behind me those beliefs that I've had that actually the God, I'm too old for God to use me. I'm too, I can't do this. I can't do that. Or I don't have the skills for this. I don't have the skills for that. Or, but actually to say, I'm going to lay all of that aside and I'm going to believe and I'm going to say yes to heaven. And let's face it, you know, we might as well use these bodies while we have them, fully for the kingdom of God until Jesus returns. I fully intend to keep to be preaching until my last breath. I will be preaching Jesus. I'll be out there. I don't want to end up as some sort of spiritual CEO with a big leather chair behind a big desk. God deliver us. I want to be out there winning souls. So, there are others here tonight who really do need a release in your body or in your life. You just need Jesus to heal you. I know you're here and you need it. So I hear your left ear, you have a ring, you get terrible tenses. And Jesus wants to heal you. There's cancer here tonight that Jesus wants to heal. There's a man that you've actually already recently been diagnosed with prostate cancer. Jesus wants to heal you. 
Somebody here who's got, you get pressure behind um, one of your eyes. I believe it is, believe it is your left eye, but you be having pressure behind the eye and the Lord wants it. To another person, you, you had trouble in your breathing capacity has greatly reduced. You had COVID, you don't have it now, but you've been left with a reduced breathing capacity. Pray for the Lord to heal Somebody else here, actually, in the last um, uh, two months, I would say, but particularly the last few weeks, it's intensified. You've just been going in and out of a sort of depression, like a weight, like a heaviness on you. And Jesus just wants to break that and release you, restore hope and vision and faith afresh to your heart. And to pray for you for that. There's a, there's a lady here who you're, um, you've got a problem in your left knee. And uh, yeah, it, it's um, it's like there's a it's like there's a lack there of synovial fluid, um, and all those around sort of meniscus areas where you're getting quite a lot of pain in that area. It all just feels very dry, and uh, I want to heal you. Thank you, Jesus. As a lady, it's your right shoulder is your problem tonight. There is a lady here. I don't know why it's just words about some ladies, but they are those ladies. There is a lady here who you actually are kept awake at night um, with anxiety concerning children that have gone away from God. But are very wayward. And he needs to be free of them. There's a gentleman who used to have a drinking problem. You don't, it's not like it's major right now, but you've actually been through a lot of stress of late. And you've been finding yourself going back to the bottle inappropriately. And the Lord wants to set you free. We're going to start at that uh, just with these. And then we're going to, uh, okay, and let's see where we go from there. So uh, I'm just going to ask uh, if, if, you, if any of this relates to you, that you would come and we'll pray for you. But before I do, uh, most of your faces are very familiar uh, to me. Uh, I know the lady in the room because you've been introduced. <laughs> so, um, but nonetheless, it's incumbent on me always to do this. Is there anyone here who is not sure that your sins are forgiven and that you go to heaven and you want to be sure of that? You want to give your life to Christ tonight? Is there anybody like that? Quickly raise your hand. It'd be my privilege to No, this is a believer, this is a believer. I just want to make sure. I hate for someone to go out to one of my meetings. They'd rather have the opportunity. Okay, that's fine. Well, look, I'm just going to ask you right now. I don't know if you're you might just answer Just minister to the Lord on that. I'll just get that out of the way. And what we'll do is simply, if any of these words are relevant to you and you want prayer, will you just come forward and we'll pray for you tonight? All right? If you don't come, we'll sing a song and we'll go home. And what I'm going to ask you is just that you come and be alive here for a moment. 
and that you turn your attention to Jesus, raise your hands to him, and just wait on him, wait on his presence. He's going to touch you. Some of you may be healed before we ever get to you. Just come. Thank you, Jesus. We worship you. We worship you. Spirit of this place. We thank you, Lord, that you are the same Jesus yesterday, today, and forever. Come in power. Confirm your word. Touch each one right now with your anointing that breaks yokes of bondage, that brings healing and release. Jesus, we bless you. Let his presence come on you right now. Touch you. Father, we thank you. Be healed in the name of Jesus. Be healed right now in Jesus' name. We thank you, Father God, for restoration and wholeness now. Come in power upon each one. Releasing each one now in the name of Jesus Christ. Thank you. Thank you for your power. Thank you for your presence. I'm just going to come around all of you initially and just put your hands on you as the presence of God is here. Just manifesting here. Then I'll come back and I'm going to ask each of you what it is specifically. Some of you will be healed as so I just lay my hand on you without knowing what it is. You can tell me that and I'll come back to you. If you still need prayer, follow me now. Touch be healed, Jesus. Be released. In the name of Jesus. Father, my sister, I thank you. Be healed in Jesus' name. Right now. Right now, be healed in the name of Jesus. Totally released. Totally restored. In Jesus' name. 